You are listening to an Enoch Pratt Free Library podcast. Your journey. Your journey. Your journey. Your journey starts here. Here. Good evening, everyone. I'm Tracy Diamond, the Adult Services Coordinator at the Enoch Pratt Free Library. Thank you for joining us in the African American Department of Central Library, and welcome to a special Writers Live. Tonight, we're celebrating Juneteenth with Cherie Booker as she reads from her reissued collection, One Woman, One Hustle. After her talk, we'll have a Q&A, and then there will be time to mingle and buy books from the Ivy Bookshop. We are podcasting tonight's event, so during the Q&A, Please wait for me to come to you with the microphone. Cherie is an incredible storyteller in any genre. A vibrant and uplifting collection of poems, One Woman, One Hustle, addresses the issues of today's young woman. At the forefront of this collection are verses addressing self-identity, self-love, and the self-assurance needed to survive the current societal climate. With the world as her backdrop, she uses verse to tell the stories of women that look and love like her. This special edition includes over 30 new poems and spoken word pieces of empowerment. So NAACP Image Award winner Sheree Booker has a BA in political science from Notre Dame of Maryland and an MFA in creative writing from Goucher. She's a writer, spoken word artist, and teacher. So please give a warm welcome to Sheree Booker. Good evening. How are you guys tonight? Happy Juneteenth. I thought it was just going to be me and Tracy here, so I'm so happy. And I see some some familiar faces. Hello, Celeste. Hi, Damate. Um, I usually like to introduce myself through poetry. I'm not the greatest MC, but give me a microphone, two ears, and an open mind. And I will spit until every tear duct in your eye runs dry. I will formulate the most abstract idea. Sketch it with my MAC lip liner and paint the canvas with my tongue until you see things my way. I will cut into your vision, remove the cataracts, and show you that pretty girls possess intelligence. I will contradict every life lesson that your mother taught you because rebellion is my middle name. I'm not the greatest MC, but give me one good ear and a beating heart, and I'll save this world. I was born on the Ides of March, but that's the only thing Caesar and I have in common. My life and his death. I am the next Maya Angelou. I just taught my cage bird how to sing. She just can't fly. Harriet Tubman left me a note telling me to dig up her pistol in 2019 because the Underground Railroad is still in place. Noah promised to help me build a fire-resistant ark because time is running out again. I am not the greatest MC, but give me two deaf ears and a sign language manual, and I will start a revolution. Thank you. So I actually, I wrote that poem 15 years ago, and I've been performing that poem for 15 years. I never speak. I never do an interview. I never do anything without that poem because it basically transforms me into my Sasha Fierce, my alter ego, um, and it gives me the courage to get up and do what I do. Um, But over these years, this poem has resonated with any audience that I've stepped in front of, and so I continue to do it. And so that is kind of how we got here today, because 
um, I decided to reissue my book, One Woman, One Hustle. Um, I originally published this book in 2003 when I was a junior at um, the College of Notre Dame, which is now Notre Dame of Maryland University. And as you can see, I was all feminist and woman power and I wanted a pink book and I wanted you know a woman's face on it which is this is kind of like me I used to wear my hair in a flip and everything and um I wanted to to just share my poetry with the world and so a lot of these poems reminded me of Juneteenth and a lot of these poems were still relevant today when I decided to to republish this book um and I didn't see I guess I was woke back then uh, I didn't consider it because I was so young um but I was really fight the powerish um and it's still universal today and so i wanted to celebrate juneteenth um which is basically uh the emancipation of of black people uh the war was over and on june 19th 1865 um when they arrived in texas that is when it was official that is when um everyone pretty much learned that they they were free even though the emancipation proclamation had been passed um a few years before that um this was our official holiday and so for years probably i probably found out about it um when I was in college, when I was doing things on the poetry scene, there were always these kind of isolated events that were um, going on around the city, different uh, little poetry readings, cookouts, festivals, and things like that. But it never kind of just like blew up. And um, I'm hoping that one day, maybe in my lifetime, we'll get to see that happen. Um, I don't know, but either way, I'm here today and we're going to have a good time and we're going to read some poetry and we're going to laugh and we're going to have fun. All right, you guys with me? All right, so I'm going to take us back to this one poem that I wrote called Press Release, and it's on page 24 if you want to read along. We are still for sale. It's a shame that the Emancipation Proclamation deal went stale, molded, corroded, and we still don't notice that equality is what they owed us. For rags the riches, we forgot about the whips and the switches that bruise the backs of blacks. The wax that put us to sleep like dogs, the shit that never moved our bowels, the trials that never reached court, the wars that were fought for the other side. Kwaisi said there were no free rides from rags to riches, and we forgot. But guess what? History repeats itself, and today's privileges might be tomorrow's prohibitions because we didn't listen or remember those years of fights for equal rights, those sleepless nights trying to love whites back when liberty had a cost and freedom had a price. When payment plans and IOUs were unacceptable because we had no credit. When we paid in full and upfront with bloodshed and tears. When we sacrificed lambs like X and King and incarcerated messiahs like Mandela. But memories are meaningless to a struggle-free Generation X who painted plastic spoons silver. So I listened to the words of my granddaddy when he said to me that democracy is synonymous to hypocrisy. And I know he's watching me and that's why I vote every opportunity because he didn't have that luxury. They said he was only a fraction of a man when he had a common denominator, a larger numerator, and a better calculator than they would ever have. So you can never get too ghetto, fabulous, or hood rich to remember the struggle because freedom has a cost, even at this level. Thank you. So... <laughs> People always ask where I get my, my performance voice from. Um, and at first, I, I didn't know. I'm like, uh, I don't know. But then I realized that um, it's kind of, it's a little bit Lauren Hill. It's a, a little bit DMX. And it's a little bit Black Baptist Preacher. So 
Um, and I'm so happy because I have one of my high school classmates here with me, Diamante. And when we were in the 11th grade, uh, Lauren Hill's first album, The Miseducation of Lauren Hill, came out. And um, I just remember hearing this song on the radio. And she's like, it's funny how money changes situations. Miscommunication lead to complications. My emancipation don't fit your equation. I was on the humble, you on every station. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> I want to do that. <laughs> um, and then one day, uh, DMX, he, uh, his album came out as two, and I just heard him saying, like, get at me, dog. And it was just, like, so authoritative and just I loved his voice. And then just being in the, in the church and founding a church and being a part of it, like, you, I just hoop at the end of my, like, um, ending a sermon at the end of my poems. Um, and so that's kind of how I developed my voice, and I just started writing more poetry. And so... Over time, I was writing poems, writing poems, writing poems in high school. Um, I had no intention of doing anything with these poems. It was really just for fun. Sometimes I would write them for my girlfriends for t to give to their boyfriends or, or something like that. But other than that, it was just a, a pastime um, for me. And then it got a little serious because um, I wrote this poem called Endangered Black Man. And um, I basically, I was watching Dateline, I believe it was, and it was an episode, there was this young uh, black boy who was in prison for committing a crime that he didn't commit against a young white girl. And um, I was just watching, I'm like, wow, we're just, we're just in a bad state. I was also, at the time, working um, in the funeral business, and I was seeing a lot of young African-American males come in um, to be buried. And I'm like, wow, what is what is happening here? Um, and so I wrote this poem all in one night and um, I basically shared it with my pastor. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I wrote this poem. And he was like, uh, you're going to read it in church tomorrow. And I was like, uh, no, I don't think so. <laughs> That's okay. And he was like, well, don't come to church tomorrow if you're not going to read this poem. And um, I basically came to church because the Lord told me to and um, I read it and then I received a standing ovation and that was the first time that I knew for sure that this was something that I should be doing that I should be sharing my poetry with the world so I'm just going to read a little bit of in um danger black man for you guys <clears throat> no longer a white man's world hmm. you're right you just don't get it, endangered black man. So deeply enslaved by him, you unknowingly yet willingly worship him while he exploits you and destroys what you try to begin by putting your dreams to an end. Do you really think he's your friend? You know the truth deep within, but you just don't get it. You are endangered black man. Your daddy died so that you would never be called the N-word, but it figures that you, an ungrateful son of a son of a slave, would rather be encaged than enraged to be engaged in the annihilation of your own kind, your own people. You just don't get it. You are endangered black man. You can deny it all you want, but you still see it. You know it, but you're too afraid to admit it. But every day you show it. It's revealed with every move that you make, through every life that you take, and every rule that you break. Every action, it's no mistake. Do you even know that you're a part of a race? That we are one, all of us, every black boy, every colored face. Don't try to forget because you can't erase. Because he is your brother, your father, and your circle of life, he holds a place. Go all the way back to your roots and trace. Your roots are deeper than the streets. Your heritage is more than good music and hot beats. You should want more from life than good times and Jefferson repeats. You just don't get it. You are endangered black 
man. Confined to the streets, oppressed, you will never be free from your own bondage. Incarcerated not only by physical means, but black man, you are mentally bound to your cage and you're still not enraged. You just don't get it, endangered black man. Why would you let him gain control, not only infecting your mind, but your body and your soul? He destroyed the spirit of the black man. He's corrupted our children and diseased our motherland. He used you to destroy me, the voice of the black tomorrow, and now all our people see is sorrow, and no cries of empathy do we ever hear. Never have they shed a tear, but because of you, I live in fear. Endangered black man, you have the power to, in your hand to take control, take command. We need you, black man. He monopolizes why he capitalizes and supplies us, and you let him demise us. Black man, surprise us. Take control. Black man, you hold the future. Black man, you have the power to free us. Black man, you have the power. Black man, don't let daddy's struggle be in vain. Strong black man, this is insane. Inferior black man, when it comes to him, you have no game. Heal black man, I felt your pain. Successful black man, you can't win this way. Proud black man, don't give your pride away. Wise black man, show the sisters the way. Forgiving black men your children deserve a brighter day protected black man find your strength and lead the way preserve black man remember jesus delivered black man continue to pray faithful black man the lord will show you the way cured black man there's still one more day freed black man endangered no longer will you stay beautiful black man start today Endangered black man, I love you anyway because you are my black man. Progress black man, help the rest black man. You are the best black man, and that's why I love you. Overcome black man, don't run black man because your time has come, black man. Thank you. Um, and I think when I wrote that, I, I didn't think that black men would really be an endangered species. I was saying it at the time, but I, I was still hopeful that things were would change and they haven't much. And in some instances, it seems like things have um, not shifted. And so um, I'm still, you know, optimistic. I'm still hopeful and I'm, I'm looking for the day when I can retire that poem and not even have to think about it or, or read it again. All right, so... While we're on the heavy stuff, one more poem. Um, this is one of my favorite poems to, to perform. I wrote this, um, again, you guys may know me from my other book, Nine Years Under, Coming of Age in the Inner City Funeral Home. If you don't know, I spent nine years working at a, a funeral home in West Baltimore. Um, and so I saw a lot. So this is really like volume one because I saw so much stuff. Um, but when you work in the funeral business, either you're really, really busy or it's like really, really quiet and peaceful and slow and you're just alone and in your moments. And so one day I was in the funeral home and it was just me and um, I saw a few death certificates on the desk and I ended up writing this poem. I breathed today. I breathed a breath of refreshment, a breath of realization, a breath of thanksgiving. And I realized that breathing is much more refreshing, definitely a blessing. And I am grateful for my breath because someone stopped breathing today. And so I breathe a breath of sincere satisfaction and relief that they will rest in peace. Someone is breathing artificial, inauthentic, unnatural breaths, and it's killing them softly. Someone's breathing is controlled by machines of forced life support, and their life is cut short because they thought a man-made machine could save them. And I breathe, and I breathe, and I breathe because I thought that I would never breathe again. 
And so I breathe for every sister that's not breathing at the hands of some trifling man. I breathe for every black man that is locked down because he's not big enough to see the picture. I breathe for every child that never breathed because her mother sacrificed her seed. I breathe for every punctured lung injured at the hands of envious ungodly spirits. I breathe for every lung that collapsed from carrying burdens from one lung to the next. I breathe for every asthmatic lung that had the wind knocked out of it. I breathe for every short-winded conversation. I breathe for every long-winded preacher. I breathe for every ungrateful huff and puff I breathe for everyone that's waiting to exhale I inhale and I breathe 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 breathe. (sighs) thank you all right so let me take a breath (laughs) um so yeah that that was my 21 year old self writing those things and um at first I when I went back to this book I was afraid to kind of look at it because I'm like I don't know what that girl was going through when she was writing that book or what she was going to say um and so I had this hard copy of the book but I did not have it backed up electronically and so I was like you know I want this book to to be available to other people um so there is a hard copy somewhere in my parents basement but again I wrote this in 2003 and so I'm like I don't know if it's a floppy disk I don't know if it's a USB I don't know if it's on a CD I mean times have changed so much like I don't you know we didn't have iCloud back then so I have no idea where the hard copy of this book is so I had to go through and really manually type everything and the original edition of this actually had a short story in it but I cut it and uh, replaced it with some newer poems Um, so my 30 year old self um, began writing some poems that I've added to this book Um, and so one of my uh, since we're talking about Juneteenth I'm gonna do this poem I did this on um, WYPR the other day this is called Harriet and it's on page 88 and I um, actually I used to work across the street at the Baltimore Leadership School for Young Women and um, I was the, the after-school coordinator there, and I was also um, the advisor for the poetry group. And so one day we, I don't know why we were writing about Harry Tubman, but we were. <clears throat> when I hear your name, I want to scream. How could you be so courageous, so bold, so bout it, bout it, so cold? How could you cross an invisible line with hundreds of souls that were sold, that were beaten, that were ready to fold? I wonder how you can make them believe that a slave could choose to be free. How you could get them to travel beneath the concrete, threaten them with a pistol so y'all's secret wouldn't seep. How could you be so deep, so human? How could you be so bad but all woman? How could you be? How could you lead? How could you breathe with all that responsibility? How could you be the emblem for black history and still be a lady? (laughs) Thank you. I mean, like, Harriet was an amazing woman. I mean, you guys have heard about this woman. I mean, she did not play with people, okay? (laughs) Um, So I wrote that. And since I'm reading that, I'm going to read the the poem on the next page um, that I actually wrote about my my bliss girls on this at some point. And it's called Bliss. Can the thing that you love, the thing that you hate, be one and the same? Can the girls you want to win be the ones who choose to lose? Who's the blame? Can the reason you lie awake at night be the reason they're sleeping on themselves? Can the bliss pride that's deep inside be unshelved? Can I reach a young girl? 
Can I teach her well? Can I keep her from my mistakes? Can time really tell? Can I keep going even if the ring of the bell? Can I change a life of what I bring? Can they still graduate if they fail the test? Can I keep trying even if there's nothing less? Is there an answer for my questions? Am I still the teacher if they're teaching me all the lessons? So yeah, um, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, that was one of the most rewarding things that I've ever done, teaching middle school girls. Um, yeah, <laughs> might have to write a new book about that uh, because they, they really shaped me. Um, but it's, it's one of the, the best experiences that I ever had. And when you teach in Baltimore, um, no matter where you teach, we interact with so many different types of students. And the issues that they have are very, very real. Um, and things that we never, ever could imagine in our lives. And no matter what they're dealing with at home, whether it's abuse, molestation, rape, homelessness, you know, anything that's going on in their lives, they still are expected to come to school the next day and to learn and to be on their best behaviors and, and to, to have fresh ideas and be interactive and be energetic. Um, and some of them are successful in that. And a lot of times um, we're expected to teach them, but most of the times they're really teaching us. And so, um, that that was just one of the greatest times of my life, and I wanted to share those pieces. Um, the next piece I'm going to read, uh, this is called Write, and it's on page 86. And I think I wrote this. I, I actually now teach at Morgan, and I think I wrote this one day when I was just sitting in class with my students as well. How are you going to crowd stay woke and you're still asleep? I'm fighting for justice and you're screaming free meek. The self-sabotage got the future real bleak. Some fights are out of your league. Some history is meant to repeat. Some of us still need peace because we've been on the right side of the debate. We've been on our knees praying the system away, but it's time for an ellipsis dot, 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 to be continued, nope, not, to be present, to be focused, to be not accused of being a token, to be a fighter, to be right, to be awake every single night, because we write, because we write, because we write when we write. So yeah, um, that was that piece. <laughs> Give me some love. <laughs> um... So this next piece that I want to share, I actually had the, the opportunity to, to go to India um, with the, um, to be a cultural, cultural ambassador with the U.S. Embassy. And I was there doing kind of what I'm doing today, performing poetry and um, going to different universities, going to the embassy there um, and sharing my pieces. And um, after experiencing what it was like there, actually ended up writing this piece, and it's called War, and it's on page 72. Surrendering your words to fear is another form of violence. A brutal attack on heart and soul is like self-mutilation, cutting out your own tongue, surrendering to your opponent without knowing if you would have won or influenced or inspired or invoked change. How can you live with yourself knowing the world still remains as it was yesterday? Where is your mark? 
Where are your footprints? What seeds did you plant? What knowledge did you impart? Who's felt your heart? Have you dimmed your light by hiding in the dark? Can you look into the eyes of a young child and know that something you've done has touched them? Can you look at another face and know that you put that smile there? Have you whispered life into the ears of a cancer patient and watched them live again? Have you birthed something and watched it grow beyond what you ever imagined? Have you made love with the ingredients you have been given? Are you even living when you are old and your body and your mind betrays you? Will there be someone there to care for you? Will your children come to visit? Will anyone be grateful for your spirit? How will you be remembered? Because we must live on. You cannot let words defeat you. You cannot silence the voice you've been given. You cannot be selfish with your wisdom. It is not yours to keep. You cannot hoard life secrets in the compartments of your mind. You cannot waste God's precious time. You must learn to speak up and speak out and speak away all doubt. Because holding your peace can sometimes cause a war. And losing your words to fear is the worst kind of violence and we don't need any more. Thank you. So I was in India and um, I don't know if you guys know anything about the country in India, but it's really, really rich and it's really, really poor and there's almost like no middle class. It's very, very, very difficult to tell. And um, they're also uh, a very spiritual country, and most of the country is vegetarian. Um, and so, you know, the whole time we're there, most of our uh, options for food were vegetarian. So we finally found a Domino's pizza, um, and we were so happy and relieved. And on the way to... Um, the hotel we actually saw some kids and you know they were hungry and they were asking for food on the street and we were like you know what just just give them the pizza and so we gave there were these two little boys we gave them the boxes of pizza and they were so happy and we're just watching them like oh that's so awesome Uh, we don't need any dominoes anyway and um one of the little boys dropped his box of pizza on the ground just all the slices on the ground. If you know anything about India, it is the most polluted country in the entire world. Um, And so this little boy began to pick up all the slices of pizza from the ground. He picked them up, put them in his box, jumped up on the, uh, you know, on the wall, and he started eating his pizza. And I was like, oh, my God. Now, if I was back in the States and I offered someone some pizza, what would they say? They would say, first, what kind of pizza is that? Is that Papa John's or Domino's? Is, it, is there pork on there? Is it cheese? I'm lactose intolerant. Can you just give me the money? I don't want the pizza, right? And even in that moment, I understood how blessed we are still here in the United States. We don't have everything that we want. We still have issues. We're fine-tuning it. But um, it just helped me to be a little bit more grateful, and that's kind of um, what inspired me to write the the war poem um, that I just shared with you guys. Um, so the next piece I'm going to read is called uh, "This Is a State of Emergency," and this is kind of like my modern day endangered black man. My America certainly ain't free. There's a cost for everything. 
Current currency equals black bodies stretched on the pavement, uncovered for hours, cover up in progress. No insurance coverage for the years of recovery to erase the images that are now stuck in between the minds of little brown babies. Like that sweet four-year-old who was forced to console her own mama. She said, it's okay, mommy. I'm here with you. But she shouldn't have had to. Our children aren't supposed to know these days. They aren't supposed to wake up afraid because someone had already paid. Black bodies already died for this. But time after time, we have to bear witness to another black man that's been stripped, character reassassinated in the media because everyone knows that you can't tell your side of the story when you're not alive. As if leaving him for dead doesn't hurt bad enough. No mercy from a protector entrusted with his life. Another black mother wailing. Now the poster child for her slain child. Because the system gone buck wild. And when we buck back, we're put on trial. Because he was too tall, too black, too urban, too fat. Mr. Officer, you cannot fear us and protect us simultaneously. You have to make a choice. And it cannot be murder in the first degree. I said, this is a state of emergency. Send in FEMA, call the National Guard, send in anyone who will obey the laws. A badge or a Senate seat does not make you God. You work for us. Whatever happened to Officer Friendly? I have no answers, so I just ask the questions like, when will we indict America? When did law enforcement become the new mascot for racism? Who's running this race because we seem to be going nowhere? How are we going to have peace when you keep using your peace? You used to swear on the Bible and take an oath. Now you pray on the lives of black and brown youth traded in white hoods for blue uniforms wage war on the boys and men that look like the first black president what happened to the audacity of hope I guess democracy is synonymous to hypocrisy I used to think that I bled red white and blue until I realized that in America they have more respect for animals in the zoo this is a state of emergency this is not a game but real life when my brothers are one step away from being the next hashtag when the men with guns don't acknowledge us throwing up the white flag, throwing our hands up, screaming don't shoot, crying I can't breathe over cigarettes that were loose. So many giants been asleep, too many lives hanging in the balance. Take the only positive image off of, of a black family off of TV. Society is a threat to me. We are not a threat to society. We're not scared of them. They are scared of us. Even when we're unarmed and undangerous, it's no biggie. I'm so glad my mama is not here to see this. I don't want to be politically correct. Please don't edit my words. Please don't water down my Kool-Aid. Please don't shoot. Don't forget what you heard. Please don't distract me with your technology. Give me the minimum basics of education to fail in your society. I am hip to you, America. Not not this hip-hop interlude in America. Truth be told, you have never judged us on the content of our character. So don't get mad now when we knock down the barriers because we are in a state of emergency. And I am a black woman that loves a black man. I'm a black woman who can't stay off her knees because I'm pleading with God. The God I know to protect my family, my daddy, my nephew, my man, my pastor. They all got that superpower that makes them threatening because they are black men. And my God, that's not a sin. And I refuse to believe that this is the end. So I speak life into the black men. Because you are life, you are love, you are forgiveness, you are hero, you are black, you are Obama, you are Trayvon Martin, you are Mike Brown, you are Eric Garner, you are Philando Castile, you are Alton Sterling, you are Freddie Gray, you are great... You are greatness. You are everything. You are everything. You are everything. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. You are human. Thank you. <laughs>
All right. Thank you, guys. Um, and I wrote that piece for a rally in D.C. Um, about two years ago. Um, and then I kind of shifted my messaging, um, you know, because I'm, I'm an advocate for people really taking control of the narrative and telling their story on their own terms. And I think everyone, I, I feel like if you lived through it, if you experienced it, it is your story to tell. Um, and so um, don't ever be discouraged by whatever is going on in your life because no matter what it is, I know that it can help someone else. If you survived it, if it is your testimony, um, if you lived through it, then I know that it will help others. And, you know, some, so many times the things we go through, um, you know, they're, they're covered in shame and we don't want to share. We're embarrassed. Um, but I try to encourage people to tell their story, to write their stories, to do the podcast, to create the blog, whatever it is, because um, it's really, really needed out there. And so this is um, called You Don't Need Permission to Tell Your Story. Do not ask the world for permission to tell your story. Some will give you their blessing in an attempt to edit your truth. Some will rebuke you in an attempt to silence you. Do not ask the world to give you a platform to share your truth, no matter how ugly it is, no matter who it may offend, no matter how long you've had to pretend that it didn't happen to you, with or without the other voices saying me too. Do not ask the world to still love you once it's out there. Your shame may be someone's blessing. Your pain may be someone's lesson. You do not have to take it to the grave. It is your life to save, so be brave. Don't be afraid to say, me first, me last, my truth, my past, my right to write and tell my story. Thank you. All right. And do you guys want to hear one more piece? All right. This one I wrote about Baltimore, and this is called Safe and Sound. Uh, and I actually wrote this for um, a rally that uh, Marilyn Mosby, Mosby was having a few years ago. Safe and Sound. We deserve to be safe and sound. We deserve to be in love with the place we call home. The G-code should have nothing to do with our zip codes. Love should be the only drug that causes us to overdose. The home of the ravens should be a safe haven. Without all the bodies outlined on the pavement, our streets should be littered with humanity. No longer a victim to incompetency and greed, we should find enough strength in our pain to evoke change. In a city once known for reading, but a town now marked by its bleeding. For a television show that depicted us as dangerous and low, we have the power to grow, to rebuild, to reclaim, to rebrand, to be greater than, oh, Baltimore. We should be more. Thank you. All right. So you want to open up for the questions? Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you very much. First of all, happy Juneteenth. Very good presentation. Thank you. Um, one year from now will be June 2020, and that will be here in Maryland, Maryland primary election day. 
And the concerns I have is in the past, in particular uh, young people in some areas, uh, we have trouble trying to get them to register to vote and then just coming to the polling place mm -hmm. on either, either to vote early or on actual election day and all that. So the question is, uh, particularly the millennials, where, how do you feel with all the issues going around and there's so many different areas, are you, are you think they're going to be an uprise in young people coming to express themselves, the way things are going the last um, two and a half years, mm -hmm. or wh where do you see things going? All right, thank you. Uh, that's a, a great question. Um, you know, I think right now is a great time just for young people. They have so many different platforms to share their voice. Um, and it's very interesting to see young people on Twitter. You know, it's an entirely different world, but they get so much um, done out there. So I think that um, as they've done in the, the last few elections, they, they know how to mobilize each other. They know how to stay connected and they know how to support, um, you know, the people that they're interested in. And so I don't. I don't know what it'll look like, um, but I'm excited about our future and our young people. Hi, you mentioned that you had a short story and I was wondering if you bring your, you might write more than one short story. In your fiction, do you bring your lyricism to your prose? Um, not in, in this particular um, book that I wrote, but I am working on a, um, a novel in verse, like a YA novel in verse. So this is an exciting time for that. Uh, I didn't even know that existed a few years ago. And so I've been working on um, a piece that I'm really excited about. Um, so yeah, yeah. But I, my, my main genre that I write in is nonfiction. So um, I have a MFA in creative nonfiction from Goucher, mm -hmm. so yeah. What is a novel in verse? Um, so it, it's a novel that, that's literally written in verse, like poems, um, to tell the story. The narrative is written with a, a rhythm and a flow. You know, it doesn't look like the traditional paragraph on the page. It's, it's literally like poems on there. Yeah, it's super cool. Yeah, try, uh, if you're interested, look up Jason Reynolds. Um, hmm? Kwame Alexander does it, too. Um, um, Elizabeth Acevedo, too. So, yeah. Good. What else? Any other questions? So, I'm wondering, have you considered writing a book about our high school experience? We um, have a lot of stories, so I'm just saying. We absolutely have a lot of stories. Um, I am. So this YA, so young adult novel um, in verse that I'm working on, I am drawing from real life characters and, and experiences that um, that we may or may not have had at that time. So absolutely, yes. Um, so this is one of my high school classmates. We went to City Together, class of 2000, City Forever. Uh, and we did have, uh, thank you. Uh, we have nights in the room. Awesome. Um, and we did have some interesting experiences there. We were the first international baccalaureate class um, in Baltimore City. And so we were kind of the guinea pigs um, of that program. But we, we became something in life. I'll put it that way. <laughs> um, good. Any other questions? Yes. Hi, how are you? Um, uh, so how does it feel as a writer? I'm, I mean, you came really 
nationally known or well known as a nonfiction writer. Um, you also write poetry, and now you're talking about you know writing a YA novel. Um, I'm asking, as someone who works with authors and as an author, how do how do how does writing in all those three genres kind of affect how people receive you? I'm just kind of curious because mm -hmm. you know I. I tend to tell my clients oftentimes, you know, try to stay within one, at least publicly, yeah. um, and develop that. But you're, it's great to see you writing cross-genre. I'm just wondering, mm -hmm. how does that affect yeah. your work overall? Um, so I primarily write in nonfiction, and I'll talk about that a little bit. But um, one of the reasons, you know, I, I get the greatest joy out of being a, a performance poet. Like that, that's what makes me happy. And I love doing that. Um, but I also enjoy writing nonfiction as well. So when I was writing nine years under, um, I made sure that I put some poems <laughs> in there too. So that, that, uh, blessings poem that I wrote an endangered black man, they were relevant to this book. I wrote them while I was working in the funeral business. So I was able to, to put that in there. Um, publishing a nonfiction book was kind of challenging for me because I was writing about real people and real lives were affected by that book. Um, you know, I always tell this story about even my mom who, um, at the time, you know, she had cancer. And when I was like reading her parts of the book, she's like, you know, can you not say cancer? Can you call it something else? And I'm like, I mean, is there another word for cancer? And she's like, I mean, you know, like terminal illness or something a little nicer. I'm like, mom, cancer is cancer. I cannot make that pretty. But as I was writing and, you know, understanding that I was writing about people, I was writing about a business and things like that, I kind of wanted to delve into fiction now because I feel like um, in fiction you just have more license. You know, a lot of people that read Nine Years Under, you know, they always said, like, I felt like you were being very safe and I felt like you're being nice, you're a nice writer, da-da-da. And I kind of was because I was writing about people that I love. And so... Um, I'm branching into fiction because I really want to be able to say what I want to say. <laughs> um, without anyone, if I want to say cancer, I want to say cancer. And I don't, you know, I don't want anyone to be upset with me, especially not my mama. But, um, you know, so just trying different genres. But I think there is a way that when you write in different ones, just to weave that in. So if you are the poet, then, then throw a poem on the page. Because when you give readings like this and you do events, you know, I'm going to open up with my phone checker no matter what I do. But when I can open up my book and say, hey, let me share this piece because I wrote that during this time. Or if your character is into poetry or into something like that, then I think that that may work. Maybe, maybe not. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Thank you. Sorry. Uh, so I just bought this book and I bought it for my 10-year-old daughter. May ask you to sign it. She would love to have. She always. She's. She's. So, I have a friend of mine who did the history of barbecue, and she. She wants to get a signed version because she's. <laughs> she thinks it's great to have living off. <laughs> uh, but I wanted to just to congratulate you about being so honest about how to fight cancer. Um, oh. uh, her granddad is dying of cancer. Oh and, no! And I saw that, and I thought it's a beautiful piece. And I was. Oh yeah. I'll, I, um, I was, I was, it was like one of these things I wanted to ask about. And so I'm glad that you spoke about it because I think it's it's important for people to articulate. And, and be able to express themselves honestly. So, thank yeah. you for putting that up. Thank you. Um, I'll, I'll share that before we leave tonight because um, that poem is very special and dear to me. It just didn't fit the theme of what we were doing tonight, but I'll be happy to read some other things. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. Mm hmm. 
Good. Any other questions? All right. So I'm going to read. You had a question? Uh, what parts of India were you visiting? Uh, I was in Mumbai, Delhi, and Kolkata. Um, so, yeah. Very interesting. And, and the story that I told before, that took place in, in Delhi. Yeah. Um, what page is that cancer poem on? Yes, sir. Hello, uh, thank you for coming out here. Um, and thank you. Poetry. I'm just wondering about the uh, your opinion on the state of poetry today, because um, it doesn't seem like poetry is the, the popular art right now. It seems to be a dying art. Mm -hmm. um, I don't, it doesn't seem like we'll have a Robert Frost or Maya Angelou in a long time. It seems like uh, the successful poets nowadays are songwriters. Mm. Um, so I'm just wondering um, what do you say to poets nowadays uh, yeah. who feel like they're not going to be heard, at least not for a long time? I think it's kind of, um, I, I think there's a new fire lit under poetry. Um, you know, the library is having Jer Jericho Brown um, next week, and there are a lot of new age poets that are coming out. Um, but we're, in the, in the poetry world, we're kind of experiencing this thing because we kind of have Twitter poets too. And so, so there are these, um, you know, what's her name? Like Rupi Carr, uh, I can't think of her name right now. But um, um, different poets who have basically, you know, they write about relationships, love, those type of things. And they have truly, truly great success. And um, they found their, um, you know, their platform on Instagram and Twitter and those things. So we do have um, this reemergence of poetry that's happening. It's not necessarily the... Um, you know, the traditional poetry readings or open mics and things like that. But there's a lot of poetry going on in the um, in the cyber world right now. There are a lot of books being published, too. So I, I think this is actually a great time for poetry. So don't be discouraged. Um, I think that there are Robert Frost out there, future Robert Frost and Maya Angelou's and things like that. Um, and um, I, don't, I think poetry is in good hands, so we don't have much to worry about about that. <laughs> Any other questions? Trying to find this poem. 81? Oh, thank you. Um, so, yeah, I wrote this poem. It's called um, How to Fight Cancer. Um, my mother died from multiple myeloma uh, in 2014, so it's been five years, and um, some of my closest friends, two of my best friends, are cancer survivors. Um, so I'm all too familiar with this disease. <clears throat> How to fight cancer. You say cancer, but I say supernatural, incurable. Make humans invincible, another opportunity to witness God's miracles disease. You say it killed your mama, your sister, your aunt, your friend. I say they were gonna die anyway. I say cancer made them superheroes. Because of that disease and its malignancy, they became legends. A legendary fall for a legendary cause, because everybody don't die fighting. This is for the heavyweights, still punching until their last breath, giving everything they had left, smiling through their pain just to protect us from our tears, more than conquerors, because they overcame their fears. You say it's unfair. 
I say it's life. I say we have the power to find a cure. I say we have the power to fund a cure. I say we have a voice that can ensure that no lives or breasts or ovaries or prostates were lost in vain. That from their pain the world has gained. You say it's all over. I say it's just begun. I say it's time to beat our drum. It's time to save the tatas. And we all know that I love mine. It's time to protect our health. Ensure that we're around to see our children's wealth. And I don't want to sound preachy, but this poem is for my mama, my Aunt Mary, my granddaddy. May they rest in power. This poem is for Danielle. This poem is for Natalie. This poem is for Shay. This poem is for Sherry Jackson. This poem is for the survivors. This poem is for the soldiers we lost, the ones on the battlefield, the ones who never gave up, the ones who endured radiation and chemo. Why can't we find a cure? We found Nemo. I feel inspired by the life in this room, by the fight in this room that won't allow a disease that eats your organs to devour your mind. That didn't let the betrayal of your body affect your intellect. See, you don't fight cancer with your fist. You beat cancer with your wish list. You start making those buckets. You choose the quality of your life over the quantity. To stop a tumor from growing, you don't feed it with your negativity. Starve your fears and use love's energy. You and your faith bank that disease. You double team it. Go out kicking and screaming. You knock it out. No matter how many rounds it takes, you do not lose your win. Because it will go the whole 12 rounds if it has to. You kick cancer's ass and if it gets the best of you you have permission to kill it you have permission to destroy your opponent before it takes you out it is self-defense no one in this world is going to judge you cancer is like white police officers sacrificing black bodies and you can't let it get away with it cancer is like what i did with this poem i went from negative to positive and it's still all good and it's still all god you say f cancer and i say you're absolutely right i say you are not alone This is humanity's fight. You say cancer is darkness. I say you be the light. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you, guys. Any other questions? I think that's an incredible note to end on. Thank you. Thank you, Sharik. Thank you all for spending your evening with us. This podcast is a production of the Enoch Pratt Free Library and the Maryland State Library Resource Center. For more information and to access more library resources, please visit prattlibrary.org.